down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Hey, Marcus, how you doing? Friday night, can't complain. Oh. Friday night, we're the best job in America. I see, I see Tim Weisberg. You do? Yeah. We were right. Our theory was correct. There he is. <laughs> the big gun. The there big he is. gun. I was like, where's Tim? The hardest working man in show business. Uh, easily. Seriously, it, folks. By far. This, uh, this whole place runs on Tim Weisberg's it, back, really. It does. Quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so... Marcus, it's a big Friday night. Yeah, it's a big Friday night. It's always a big Friday night when you're listening uh, to WBSM and South Coast tonight. Um, last Friday was pretty good. Uh, the first Friday show was pretty good. Lots of um, lots of calls, lots of discussion on really interesting stuff. And I'm um, looking forward to doing that again. We're, of course, taking your calls at 508 996 500 and we're taking your messages on the WBSM app chat, uh, and uh, yeah, let us know what you're thinking, what's on your mind. We've got a few things going on locally here in the in the Commonwealth, across the Commonwealth. What's go, what's up? What's up with Beacon Hill? Huh? Beacon Hill? What's up with that? <laughs> so, so Marcus, you know, we've been talking about this, and um, and the larger point being that the legislature, while it's controlled by the Democrats, there are different factions. Yeah. The um, the Republican governor, who's still got one, this is it for him. He's not running again for re-election. But the legislature seems to, anyway, be allowing the governor to really control the budget. They're effectively, they're effectively giving up their veto-proof majority right. at this juncture. So they did give him the budget, a $52 billion budget, which is, um, I think last year was mid-40. So it's higher than most of the budgets that they've um, that they've done. Which makes sense. That's how the kind of how the how how it works, right? But uh, they gave it to him on the twenty first. Session ends on the thirty first, right? So he's got ten days. I don't know about like the time and all of that. That might it might get real technical, right? So like what time, you know? And it's I guess it's happened before where he has vetoed because the the governor has what's called a line item veto, which means he can pick stuff out of a bill or out of the budget in particular and veto that without vetoing the whole bill. That is not constitutional per the Supreme Court at the federal level, but at the state level, you can do that. So there is, it, it, it could be the case that they take up some, uh, line item vetoes, in the next session with Governor, <laughs> Governor, <laughs> no, you know, like, as, well, well, who knows? But it looks, it looks like the Democrats, uh, which which would be Healy, are, are in a very strong position. Right yeah, now. I would. I, I think. I think so. I think. I think a lot of people are are assuming she's going to win. You never know, right? But uh, it seems like she's in the she's in the strongest position. She right also now. wasn't going to run unless she knew she could win or felt she could win. Well, because Baker would have been the odds-on favorite. She waited. She waited to see what Baker was going to do. Really, you, you you just don't. It's not good politics to run a. a you got a safe seat. 
in a statewide election. Right. It's not good politics to run against the guy who's who, the most popular governor in Massachusetts in who, America. Who, who has a who has a plus seventy percent approval rating, right? Right. 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 You know, even right. a plus sixty percent. Right. So that's just never smart considering um, you know, how how easily people uh, elect and reelect um, incumbent uh, incumbent governors. So we we have this situation now. I'll give you one in one in particular where the um, the the, leg- the legislation to legalize sports gambling in Massachusetts, and I have a piece about it up at wbsm.com. You can read more about it. Um, Marcus, the uh, the bill right now is stalled. Okay, mm-hmm. we, there's the House and the Senate. They have to come together and then and vote on the bill. What 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 you know? They go to a joint committee and the the um they they work it out right. They work it out in a conference committee. Conference committee. Yep, yeah. To, to have it to have it come out in a, in a, in a product that they can forward to the governor, mm-hmm. which then he can veto or he can sign. Right. Um. The problem is is that the clock is running out as you as you, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And they are stalled. The, the speaker of the house, Ron Mariano, says they are quote very far apart, very far apart. Um, our news got here, we have, you, if you've been listening to the news, you, you've been hearing that. Um, I also, the, most of the Boston media is covering this as well. Yeah. They are really far apart. Now, this, the sticking point and, um, on the legalized gambling of, of betting, right? This is on football, basketball, major sporting events. Is whether, you, whether you'll allow colleges to be included in that or only have professional sports, okay? Right. So the House version of the gambling bill excludes colleges. Okay, excludes colleges. It only has professional sports. Now, I understand why the Senate would say that. Okay, mm-hmm. so, but the House bill has professional and college. All right, that's why they're far apart. Right now, folks, why does that matter? Well, it matters be- for a couple of reasons. But number one, there's about a forty million dollar difference in revenue, annual revenue, uh, on the projections if they include college. Right, it's forty million dollars annually to the Commonwealth more in wagers. So the reality of it is that, and this is maybe our puritanical ways, we do want to protect our youth. One of the schools of thought out there, and I understand it. I mean, I'm sympathetic to it, even though if I don't completely agree with it, is that we don't want to put have have college kids being gambled on, right? Yeah, you don't want to try to like they're worried that college kids could be. Um, vulnerable to exploitation. Right, right. And that would be true. It is true. Mm-hmm. But and, but by legalizing it, you don't do anything more than make it above board. Right. Right now, they're susceptible to the same pressures because there's a billions of dollars wagered annually on college sports already. So when you, when you legalize it, all you do is take it out of the hands of the illegal bookies, right? Yeah. The people were more likely, truthfully, mm-hmm. to try to shave points than someone who's working with a with with a with an actual like professional right above yeah. ground, right? Yeah. So the um the Senate bill uh has does not allow for college gambling. Now that as I said it's a forty billion forty million dollar difference. And I don't think it adds any real protections by keeping college kids out of here. What do you think? Mike? I don't think so either and I know there's so- certain states I forget which I talked to somebody on Beacon Hill about this a while ago on my um, my previous show, uh, but it was basically like, um, it was basically that uh, some states do have like pro- prohibitions against betting 
in-state colleges, in-state colleges. So for the, okay, for maybe state, you exclude. Right? And it actually works. It works pretty. It, it works pretty well for a state like us because our college sports aren't right. really all right. that elite in a lot of areas. We're not Alabama, ex- except We're not for Florida, right. right? Except for hockey, um, yes. really. But the high betting sports like football, basketball, BC is not. BC and UMass aren't among the elite schools. No. So uh, it, it works pretty well. UConn is, but you know that's 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 Connecticut. Right. So you, that would be eligible. So I think that that could be uh, a nice. Um, middle ground in that right. to say, okay, well, at least we'll protect our college kids, right? right? The ones that are in state and say that, well, maybe if we're going to have this legitimized betting, um, you know, legitimized betting industry in here, at least they can't exploit, you know, they're not close to college students here and try to, that could try to exploit. I think that's right. I think that if they're looking for, a middle ground, a compromise. I think that's a fair one. I think that, I, Martin. I think you're onto something there. The, um, the, you know, because because it's if you're at Boston College or one of the neighboring schools, and Boston College is playing that night, it might be more tempting to bet on the game, and, then, and therefore, yeah. you know, get get involved in gambling where you wouldn't have. Right? right. So, and of course, there'll be apps. You know, they they will go to phones if you're in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Like right now, you can bet on sports if you happen to be in in Rhode Island. Yeah, through their apps, you know, you can do different things that you can't do if you're not in Rhode Island. Right, and I assume Massachusetts will go that same route. Um, but re- really, in our area, we have Rhode Island, Connecticut, and New Hampshire, all currently take sports gambling mm-hmm. now, right? So um, the we uh, sunk money into a big, you know, casino project over in Everett, and you know, there's talk of there's talk of others going up, and to I don't know. To take this away or to not give them this other source of revenue, I think, really hamstrings that industry. It certainly hamstrings it. And also, Marcus, the fact of the matter is, is that there's billions of dollars bet in on illegally on sports gambling yeah. right now. Massachusetts is, is got to be in the millions of dollars bet every... It's almost like the marijuana thing, right? It really is. It's like this industry's happening. We're just kind of letting it happen. We're not really enforcing anything on it. So we're not saying like, oh, we've got to crack down on this. We've got to crack down on that. Everybody's just kind of looking the other way. Right. Everybody accepts it as, you know, as legitimate, as a yep. legitimate way to entertain yourself, as right. a legitimate way to really make money, right? No, right. One's, no one's calling you a dirtbag if, if you're in the gambling business, right. right, for the most part. So so it, it doesn't make sense. To, to not get this done. It doesn't make sense. And then I've talked to some people who used to be in the gambling business, right? Uh, and they told me that you really can't do it without having college. Yeah. And, and that they told me, look, people are still going to bet college mm-hmm. sports. They're still going to bet all the March Madness basketball games, all the bowl games. Those are big gambling games days, right? They're still going to just bet them illegally. Yeah. So you're not doing anything to change behavior, and you, you're just cutting out the state revenue. And if you're doing anything, you might, if a person wants to bet March Madness, they may, then you may be just introducing them to an illegal way to gamble, right? Right. So now you're, now you're deviating them from where they would have maybe stayed in the lawful circuits. They're deviating the, their business to the unlawful, right? Um, the tax-free, all of that piece, right? So I think that it doesn't make... And again, I understand what the prohibitionists are trying to do. I think their heart and mind is in the right place, but it just doesn't seem like that's the reach should hold the bill up, you know? Um, because if you go another year without sports gambling, you're talking about 
forty million, sixty million dollars in revenue lost. You know what's interesting about this is that one, the person who wrote the Senate bill, basically who sponsored it, Eric Lesser. I had him on the show in the spring. He's running for lieutenant governor. Right. He's a former uh, Obama administ. He's a former um, <clears throat> former Obama administ- uh, administration. Uh, staffer, he worked secondhand to David Axelrod. Obama actually gave uh, Eric Lesser a lot of credit for his whatever his um, system of uh, his luggage uh, system, uh, and because it's tra- campaign traveling is very hectic, so he gave him specific credit for that. Said so his system was pretty great. But uh, what's interesting about this is if it doesn't get if it does if it gets done, I wonder if this is helpful to his campaign. He's got a tough primary against Tammy Gavea, state rep, and Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, who has frankly gotten a ton of endorsements, and I've got a lot of money. Eric Lester's got a lot of money, too. So I wonder if if there's a push by him to try to get this done. Or or if it's the opposite. Yeah. Or if there's people out there trying to hold it up just to screw him. Yeah, right. Which is possible. It's possible. Yeah, it, it, it is possible because that's um, they're seen as the, I think the two, due respect to Tammy Gavea, who I think is a, uh, I think is a great candidate, is uh, you know a public health doctor and all that. I think people are seeing this as more of a, you know, it's Lesser or Driscoll with Driscoll, yes. Driscoll being the front runner. Frankly, that's yes. that's the way the race is viewed. You never know; it's a three person race, so you don't need that much of the vote to win. Right. But um, yeah, you're right. I wonder if that's being held up to try to um, hamstring his his uh, his uh, his prospects of, of winning the primary. He's going to be on, by the way, uh, end of uh, next month, most likely. So looking forward to talking to him so about Marcus, it. I'm interested if anybody out there has has gone down and have used the uh, Rhode Island facilities to, to bet on sports. Mm-hmm. Um, if they go down and watch the games there, you know, make a day of it um, or an evening, whatever. The um, Or if people are dying to bet on sports here in Massachusetts, is it something you really care about? Are you already betting anyway? You know, yeah. the um, it would be nice to get, have it up and running for football season. I mean, I really don't gamble. So I... Um, but I know that people like to. Yeah, I don't either. I know people really like to. It's not, um, yeah, it's not something. I, I play fantasy football, so that's that's the amount of that's the most amount of investment, which is kind of like gambling. It's yeah, it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same as putting unless you're doing unless game. you're doing daily fantasy, which is which is different. And it's what, what's interesting about it is is you know sports betting is illegal, so technically da- daily fan- you can't really right. do daily fantasy here. Right. But DraftKings is headquartered in Massachusetts. Right. <laughs> I, th- right. I think that's interesting. Um, and I, I've done daily fantasy before. It's basically impossible to win. It's kind of a scam anyway, uh, unless you work for a, a daily fantasy company and you have the algorithm. But, um, yeah, no, I just it's it's interesting. It's 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 disappointing because you feel like if they don't get this done, they're losing out in an entire football season, right. an entire college football season, right. or even if they decide not to do college, an entire NFL football season, an entire at least half of the NBA season, because who knows what's going to happen when the who takes office in, right. in January and what's going to happen then. Right. Right. I don't think we've gotten any governor's candidate comments on this. And baseball, baseball is not a big gambling sport, but it still is. Yeah. It's got, it'll have, a, you know, people, if it's there, people will do it. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, the Red Sox, the Yankees, all that stuff, you've got those options there as you go down, get into the fall World Series stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I would imagine that 
The other part, too, Marcus. On fights, this, too. People bet on fights all they, the time. They love to, yep, fights are a big deal. Yeah. The other part of this is who gets the license. How, how are they licensed? There's not a lot of conversation about that, but I do wonder. So, as we've noticed, the marijuana licenses, who gets the license yeah. is a license to print money, okay? Yeah. There's, there, um, I mean, you, can, you and only you can do something that most people can't do, right? Mm-hmm. So, are they going to give the licenses to just the casinos? Yeah. Which would seem to me to be a waste, really. Yeah. Well, what about creating a, maybe four or five licenses to distribute around the state to different places? Maybe an off-track location, things like that, you know? It would seem to me that, and again, I don't, I don't mean just mo- money going to money, but if you're at the Celtics game, you ought to be able to bet on the Celtics at the yeah. game. I would think, right? Same thing with the Patriots, things like that. Is that in the cards? I really don't know. Um, or, for instance... Some of the locations that don't have sports, like some of the old tracks, right? Make They have off-track betting now. There's a place in uh, Raynham, the old Raynham track. You can bet uh, horse races from around the country there. There's no races running there. Right. What about giving them a license, okay? Because it creates more jobs. Little spread the economic wealth around a little bit, more than just giving it all to Encore and the guys out in Springfield, you know? Right. Um, that, that may be another one of the sticking points here that's just not being talked about because that's more of a lobbyist-type deal. It's more of, a, of an inside deal, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that that could be it. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, right. We don't even think of that. Like, what special interests, you know, besides the political ones, right. are actually the ones behind this, you know, behind this this holdup? And maybe maybe the long term benefits of them getting the bill, the exact bill they want, are better than you know missing out on the on the season. Is Rhode Island holding this up? Yeah, uh, does lo- the lobbyists from Rhode Island? You know, holding this up. Yeah, I don't know how much. It, it's interesting. Like I, we we experience because because you you there are like there are people that stand to lose from this, yes. and Rhode Island is one of them. And yeah. and I, I've experienced. You know, we experienced this at UMass Law actually when they were trying to when there was a push to make That's it. Right. When there was a push to make UMass Law well. Southern New England School of Law, a public law school, which ended up being successful. When there was a push to to make that, uh, you know, to make it a law school, there were um, there were special interests that were in mostly law schools, yes. right? Mostly think, law schools. I think Suffolk and New England. I think they came Suffolk out- and New England School of Law in particular because they were. Um, you know, they were mid-tier law schools that they're fine. I know people that have gone there and done very well. Sure. Right. But they're mid-tier law schools that are more expensive. So right. they, they would take it, they, they would take it in the mouth if they, Look, if it went, when that happened. Given what I know about people who went to UMass Law, they would have ended up at either Suffolk or one of the other law schools, I believe, if they, yeah. if they didn't have the option to go to UMass Dartmouth, right? Yeah. I, that's my, I mean, you went there, you know. I got into, I got into all those law schools. Right. <laughs> I right. Got, but I went to, I got into, I actually got into UMass Law first. Uh, so I knew, I, I, I knew that ahead of time. And I got there, I got in there first. So I was like, okay, I'm going here. It's, it's, it's close. It's right. cheap. Right. I'm going here. Right. But. I got into all the other ones, you know, the, all the other ones. I Wenick, New England, uh, Suffolk, uh, Roger Williams, and I could have gone to either, all of that, either of them. But obviously, I'm going to go with the, the the more affordable option, and the I mean, for me, closer option. Right. So, so the the other angle on this is is um, you wonder if the state lottery people, uh, Deb Goldberg, you know, obviously. There's only so many dollars to for, for in gamblers' pockets, right? They'd like to make less, but, oh, yeah. right? Are they are they worried about the competition with the lottery, right? By by giving people football and basketball options. I, I think it's I don't know because I think it's you're not going to get 
people are betting anyway. I would think they're anyway. different kind of players. Yeah. I, I would think so. But one, I think that's true. I think they're different kind of players. Um, and also, they, if you want to bet sports right now, yeah. you're betting them. Yeah, right. Right? That's the I thing. I mean, there's all this money that's going into the illegal market. Right? Yeah. And I would say that Rhode Island, because one of the things about Rhode Island is you can't bet there by phone or by, by the internet unless you're physically in Rhode Island. Yeah. So if you're Twin Rivers... You've got all those tables and things like that. If someone wants to come down to bet the Patriots and watch the Patriots game, then they might go buy the slot machines, right? right. Which adds to your revenue, things like that. So I do think it would be a loss leader, a loss, a real loss for the for the casinos of Rhode Island and and, uh, and Connecticut, right? Again, the, the Connecticut casinos can take gambling right now. They can take sports betting. So you wonder if those folks are playing as well. Have any of you folks out there at 508-996-0500, have you bet down in... Foxwoods, have you bet at Mohegan Sun? Have you used the uh, the Rhode Island facility yet to bet on sports? Are you planning on doing that? Would it make a difference to you if you could bet them in Massachusetts? I'm curious. Do you even matter? Does it even matter to people? I mean, that may be the other part, Marcus. There may be so much controversy on this bill that people say, I really don't want to vote in this thing. Right, yeah. Let's just let it die. Yeah, right? Right, just let it happen. Yeah. I'd rather not take the vote. Yeah, maybe. the rainy day fund's already pretty... You know, right. the rating day fans already pretty flush as it is. Right. I just realized if if there was a competition between <laughs> if there was a competition between people using the you know treasuries uh, gambling, um, let's call them mediums, and the uh, the sports betting, then that might mean if the sports betting bill bill gets passed, there's fewer people holding me up in line at the convenience store. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very so, true. All right, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. We're gonna take this break and then we'll be right back. This is South Coast tonight with Chris and Marcus. 1420 WB. Hey, hey, what's up? We're back. Welcome to South Coast tonight. Um, I had, uh, I had, I was gonna play um, songs about Friday night, and I, uh, I wasn't able to. By the way, we're gonna have Hugh Dunn come in at eight thirty. If you guys didn't hear yet, the home rule petition for to get Sergeant Cassidy, who passed away last year due to COVID. Uh, get him uh, his benefits uh, has been passed by the city council. Uh, it'll get signed by the mayor. It'll go through the legislature and it'll end up on Charlie Baker's desk. So we're going to hear more about that from Hugh. Hugh was instrumental. It's been a long process. It's been a long process. Longer than it should have been. It's been longer than it should have been. And they wanted to make sure they crossed all the I's, dot all the, whatever you say, dot all the T's, right? But they, um, here we are. Yeah, here we are. It'll go up to Governor Baker's office, um, and um, but we'll have Hugh done at eight thirty to to talk more about the process with us. And because uh, look, things don't normally take this long, but also things aren't normally this substantial, right? Right. I mean, this is a very substantial piece of legislation. The city ought to be proud of itself, proud I, of its leaders I, for I, doing. There was it. a lot of people that were lobbying against it too. Like Mass Municipal Association is against it, and they were like, "Well, this is." It. I didn't like their argument. I was like, well, this is just, it's going to be so hard for us guys, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's like, I don't care, you know, like figure it out, get it done. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll begin with him to, uh, to talk about that. We'll also be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. Chris, I think we can announce this due to the confirmations that I got because I want to, I think this is a good lead into the next topic, sure. but uh, we are on August 17th 
going to have a debate here on WBSM between the candidates for sheriff. We've gotten two out of the three that confirmed so far. I imagine the third's going to confirm, but okay. that's the date that we're going to have the debate. And that's when? That is August 17th, and it's at we're going to do it from 8 to 10 p.m. So we'll have our show. We'll have a little warm-up for you guys, and then... Uh, you know, Chris and I will talk about maybe the race, you know, top 10 sheriffs of all time, right. <laughs> something like that. Right. And um, and then we'll, we'll get into that debate. Look, really looking forward to, to hosting that um, that primary debate between uh, George McNeil, Nick Bernier and, and Paul Haru. It's, uh, you know, Sheriff Hodgson didn't have a primary opponent. He's very popular with the Republican Party. And so he didn't get a primary opponent. So he's just waiting for the Democrat to come out of the race and face them uh, and face him in the in the general election. So I think it'll be a very interesting debate because um, the way we're going to do it, folks, is um, the first hour of the debate will be um, them asking each other questions. Yeah, be going back and forth, which which will be interesting because they know the issues. They also um, know what they want to run on and what their opponents might not want to run. on. So and they know what they want to. Highlight about their opponents. No, absolutely, that, that, absolutely, Mark. That is no. So that that'll be fun for you guys. And then the third hour of the debate, the second hour of the debate, the third hour of our program, will be you folks taking. We'll be taking your calls. Yeah. So you'll be able to ask your favorite candidate or least favorite candidate a question. And yeah. uh, this will be the Democratic primary. Okay. Um, I'm quite sure that whoever comes out of the Democrat primary will return. And I know Tom Hodgson will, because we'll host a general election debate as well. Oh, they'll come in here. They'll come in. Yeah. Um, so there's a, it's, it's not as far away as you really think. No, the primary is, is September 6th, which is September 6th. And what's cool is right after Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And we're going to be here actually, uh, we're going to be here delivering you the results. Right. Of the primary. So, and you know, it's not just the sheriff's primary locally. You're going to have, 10th Bristol District between Rick Trapillo and Bill Strauss. You're going to have Matt Apoisit. Yeah, Matt, so, Matt Apoisit for Haven, or Rochester. And a Cushnip. And, a, and, and New Bedford, yeah. And uh, North End of New Bedford, right. uh, parts of Ward 1 and New Bedford. Right. So uh, then we're going to uh, also the um, primary between uh, Chris Markey and Cameron Costa. Right, in Dartmouth. Yep, yep, in Dartmouth in and, in parts of, uh, and in parts of uh, of Ward One and uh, the and the the state primaries you've got in the lieutenant governor's race you've got uh, as we talked about we've got Eric Lesser state senator former Obama admin, uh, former Obama uh, Obama admin alum we'll say um, Kim Driscoll the mayor of Salem has been since 2006 got a significant amount of municipal experience and you have Tammy Gavea who's a state rep kind of seen as more of a progressive firebrand I think has uh, has regularly challenged Ron Mariano in the in the house leadership on 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 various issues which is probably why Ron Mariano endorsed Driscoll in the uh, lieutenant gov uh, in the LG's race but uh, and then you have Andrea, Andrea Campbell and Quentin Palfrey who are going to be uh, that's the AG, right? Yeah, and yep. Shannon Lisroyden as well, spending some money. Yeah, she's uh, actually yeah. running a lot of pretty good. She, she, yeah, she's spending a lot of her own money. She has a lot of money. She has a lot of money. Yeah, she's a she's a she's a very fact, successful. She's running on. She's running on the fact I'm a successful lawyer. Yeah, I have a lot of money to spend in this campaign. Right. It's kind of interesting actually because yeah. she's spending her own money and really running on the fact that hey. I've won a lot of money for it my makes, client. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder if it makes you wonder if um, if she would be if she would have been able to shake up that uh, Senate race at, at all. She's pouring this much money. That's into right. The, she's into the, the Kennedy Markey race. Yeah. She was in the Kennedy Markey race. She. That's very interesting, isn't it? Now, yeah, she signed the she signed the People's Pledge with Kennedy, 
uh, which was like no outside money or no pack money or something right. like that. Never that never works. No, are <laughs> you going to stop them? You're not supposed to coordinate the, anyway. That, that's right. It's it's you. It just that's just never. It's a stunt. It's a it's a losing strategy. It's a stunt. It really is a stunt. Yeah. The um so but but, but, but in but, retrospect now it could have been. Did a, she turned around and endorse Markey? I'm pretty sure. Did she? Yeah. Um. The whole the whole the after very, turning very, the people's pledge. But now she's running. Um. For, for Attorney General, mm-hmm. and she is running. I see a lot of her TV ads on, on the Boston TVs. So, and no, actually, she's also running Rhode Island Television because I, you know, I, I fluctuate back and forth, which is very. That's a southeastern Massachusetts strategy then to yeah. run Rhode Island, you know, and also middle of the state a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Because Rhode Island, if you if you're from the Worcester area, you you know that lower part below Worcester, they do get the Providence stations as well. Yeah, but primarily it's a southeastern Massachusetts strategy if you're running television ads on on uh, Providence News, so. Um, of course, we got the other major race, which is the auditor's race. Yeah, the auditor's race is is it's the most major race because one, it's an incredibly powerful office that you don't really think is. about a lot. You don't. You really Charlie don't. Baker actually said if he didn't run for governor, he would have ran for auditor. So, incredibly powerful office, and you have three candidates, which I think are all outstanding. I've interviewed all three of them. They're all very well experienced in government. Uh, one is very well experienced in auditing specifically, and so you've got Chris Dempsey uh, on the Democratic side. You get it's a primary, a close primary between Chris Dempsey and Diana Zaglino. Chris Dempsey got the endorsement of the convention by fifty three percent, fifty three forty seven percent. Right? right. Uh, he was uh, the chairman of uh, or the executive director of Transportation for All. I actually had him on in that capacity before he ran for auditor, which was a, a coalition of people trying to, you know, um, lobby for South, Co- South Coast Rail and other transportation reforms because Massachusetts transportation is frankly pretty pathetic. And you have to jump out the window of the train. <laughs> the, 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 the yeah, fire, yeah. Right? yeah, I saw a tweet. The, uh, the blue line is called the blue line because it goes underwater. The orange line is called the orange line because so... Um, <laughs> Catches on fire. Yeah, right. So, uh, so Chris, he's also what he's most famous for is being the head of the Say No to Boston uh, initiative, uh, Say No to Olympics in Boston initiative, right. which kept the they got it spent outspent fifteen hundred to one, but kept the Olympics out of Boston, a successful attempt, and it got him Bostonian of the Year from the from the Globe. Which, which, if you recall, New Bedford was going to be the site of the sailing. For the Olymp- if it came here, the Olympic sailing was going to be done out of New Bedford. I remember Will Flanagan wrote a letter to the to the because uh, he was mayor at the time. I think when this all this was going on, right. I think he wrote a letter to the uh, to the Olympic Commission said, "Well, you should have things here in uh, right in Fall River." Well, John Mitchell worked actively. It was John Mitchell that got the sailing right uh, out of New Bedford. You know, I yeah. mean, now you thought that would be pretty good for Fairhaven as well. They'd have yeah. to set up, you know, but the problem spectators, but it didn't happen. Yeah, the problem is the um, the the. Olympics are like kind of like a behemoth that devour everything in its path um, and can leave uh, cities and, you know, wherever they they can leave their these typical cities and regions and a substantial amount of debt after they go. But he successfully did that. He got Bostonian of the Year from Boston Globe. And he also worked as Assistant Secretary of Transportation for the Deval Patrick administration. So he's got a lot of he's got a lot of governmental and uh, uh, NGO NGO experience. Dinah DeZaglio, state senator. She was a state rep for about seven, eight years before getting elected to the Senate. Did one term in the Senate, then decided she's running for auditor. Right. So, um, so she's. I think she's got a really good personal story about growing up as a uh, growing up 
to the daughter of a single mother, a single 17 year old mother and being housing insecure and then working at various nonprofits and all that before she uh, finally got a job as a staffer at the state house and worked her way up the ranks on Beacon Hill. That uh, seems to be a big um, thing in the Democrat primary this year is talking about the parents your life was tough. Your parents didn't, didn't you know, make it easy for you. There was, in the 2012 election... If you think about it. <laughs> in the 2012 presidential election, there was a joke that I think Bill Maher made uh, uh, about this because they were all trying to tell everybody how poor they were, right? including Mitt Romney, the son, the son of a governor and presidential candidate, Mitt Romney. Uh, and, and they said, like they said, oh, we, we ate... <laughs> Dinner off our ironing board. <laughs> he said we had no. What, what he said no, is, Ann Romney said that we ate we ate dinner off of an ironing board. She also said at one point things got so tight that we had to go into our trust funds. She actually said that. Yeah. She actually said that. Yeah. She said at one point Mitt and I yeah. things got so tough for us we had to go into our trust funds to pay our bills. And everybody made a big hoopla out of Michelle Obama having a um having a, like a seventy five dollar J C Penny dress on, uh and and she talked about how. Uh, Obama's those days are over. Obama, you're right? Obama, <laughs> Obama's car. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm glad for o them. Ob yeah, no, it's fine. Obama's car uh, had a hole in the bottom, or something, uh, something like Barack Obama's car had a hole in the bottom of it, or or something like Barack Obama actually did grow up uh, in, of of modest uh, of of modest means, but uh, it was funny how they were just trying to outpour each other right. in the uh, in the in the twenty at the 2012 convention. Yeah, I, but that trend continues here in Massachusetts, apparently. The uh, at least so far. I mean, the Andrea yeah, Campbell keeps talking about her tough life. When it, she when she ran for mayor, right? Yeah, she That's ran for mayor. Yeah, she ran she for mayor. City council president right. too. Yeah. So she talked about a lot of her problems growing up, how yeah. bad it was, and um, I think you had some of the other people in that race too talking about how for Boston mayor that how bad their childhood was yeah. and things like that. And I always think to myself, look, I know what you're trying to do, but I don't know that your bad childhood is necessarily going to make you a better they, governor they're trying to project relatability no i know yeah right but um but a lot of us are want to hear about your accomplishments not the yeah. failures of your parents quite yeah. frankly which is what you're advertising you know the failures of your parents. well truthfully I mean, if you know andrea yeah. campbell's story it's not her fault but yeah her, yeah yeah no the, of course her, her dad was a tough as a bad guy yeah the um but but the, um, the honors rate, that's so we'll have that primary. And you yeah. Got, you got to have Anthony you know, Moore, Republican. Anthony Moore, Anthony, he's not my favorite Republican. I said some nice things about him. I I mean, in terms of like out of the slate of statewide candidates, yeah. is he my favorite out of them? Yes. Yeah, he's the least objectionable for sure. He's no Rayla Campbell. He's no Rayla Campbell. I think that he is. He presents himself as a Baker-esque Republican. He got the endorsement of Charlie Baker. Right. In he's fact, he's a competent guy. He's a competent guy. He's and not if, an ideologue. Right. He's not an ideologue. He just happens to be a Republican. So right. I said some nice things about him, and so uh, I, and I think he's a good guy, right? And I think he's a good guy. He's gonna he's gonna be on. Uh, he's going to be on one of uh, in a couple of weeks. Actually, he's scheduled to be on in studio with us, and I'm looking forward to talking to him because right. he's very interesting. He was he worked for the federal government setting up security in Logan Airport after 9/11. Right. He he was he's the head of security at the Isabella Stewart Gardner, which is a very cool museum. If you've never been there, you should go. 
and um, he, he's looked for the missing artist. He's been very yeah. much involved in the in the case of the stolen art there yeah. at the museum, and he's written he's written some books. He's read a lot of books. Traveled all over Europe. He's an expert in art theft. I mean, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot about Anthony Amore that's that's worth looking at. You know, yeah. Um, and and the other thing too is, I, I, as you point out, he's running on a Baker esque, which I would say a competence in government, right? The ability to do the job for the taxpayers yeah. without being hamstringed by an ideological yeah. And And uh, since agenda. there's no primary, he doesn't have to compare himself to, like, uh, Ray an, an angry jerk. Yes, yeah, right. Yes, yes. So he's he's got that going for him as well. Yeah, he seems like, and I know I know the mass GOP, I've talked to people in the mass GOP, and they seem to think that they've got um, they've got a puncher's chance in that race for uh, for auditor. So I keep talking about it because it's important. One, one, like, pay attention to it. It's really important. And two, it's just the closest race from start to finish. Absolutely. You know, it's Absolutely. just like because the, some of the primaries are close, sure, but like from we all we're not we're not expecting we're not we're not expecting the Republican to win Secretary of State or Attorney General right. or, or Treasurer. I don't even know. There's not even one. There's not one runner for Treasurer. There's not run one. Yeah. Can you so imagine? I'm not. Ex I'm not even expecting the other statewide races to be uh, all that competitive in the general. This one could be. So right. it's just one that I think you should look out for. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Let's take this break. We'll be right back. Download the I'm Marcus hey, And I'm Chris McCarthy We got a call 508-996-0500 Let's go to the phones Good evening Thanks for holding Oh the This evening Hey what's up Tom Well yeah I I, uh, I just had a question that, that bothers me a little bit Maybe it's nothing I don't know But when the president uh, Came to Somerset We didn't have a, a City elected official there I thought When the, when our mayor Any mayor uh, At any point In, in, in our history leaves town, then the city council president basically has that authority. Uh, and I'm wondering why there is no city council president over there greeting the president uh, in Somerset. Uh, do you guys have any inside information on why that didn't happen? Well, I, I don't, except that I can just say this, that um, I know the president's visit was really short notice, right? Yeah. And when we talked to Jake Ogkos about it, he talked about they called him and told him just to be there, right? Yeah. And um, it was, so I would imagine it was probably because John Mitchell was in New York, out of town, and I would imagine just the lack he of just notice. Said we'll, send, we'll, we'll send somebody from the Port Authority. Is that what it was? That, yeah, they sent someone from the Port Authority that oh. was there. There was somebody on behalf of, so on behalf of the city, but not, not, um, not uh, an elected official. I, 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 I agree. I think that could have been uh, I mean, what an opportunity for Ian, you know, to, to meet the president of the United no, States. No, absolutely. I think he would have taken it if of he had you. it. I think yeah. he would too. Yeah. yeah. That's very Ian's interesting. Not, I didn't Ian's not that. one to turn down to opportunities like no, that, for no, sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any president. I mean, it's really, it's quite an honor when you get to meet the president. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I, I thought that uh, his speech was very good. Uh, I, 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 naturally, I'm in favor of, of wind uh, up and down the coast. And some people aren't, but I, I happen to... Uh, you know, be a little bit versed in it going back 40 years and, and where it started here with Mayor Markey and a, and a wind study down at Fort Robin. That was back in 1981, I think really? it was. But, uh, oh yeah, and they spent 75000 on it and uh, it proved to be feasible for what was being proposed, which was 20 Jacob wind machines. Those machines were like $20,000 a piece, but they could have generated about $200,000 uh, for the electrical costs at the sewage treatment plant. Now, from that point to where we are today, our huge strides, no, no doubt about, about it, and the development of, and the technology increase and everything else. But I, I'm, I'm real happy that that, that one, uh, at least for the time being, is going to 
uh, come through some type of fruition. Uh, I, I think we also got to stop thinking. Uh, can I, I believe Biden's a centrist. I don't believe he's. No, no kidding. Yeah, no, of course yeah. he is. Right. And, yeah. and, and his statement. To the extent he believes in anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> he presented it uh, in such a way. You know, it wasn't a radical statement. Hey, it was a, Tom, a Tom, I got to take this break. Can you call back in the in the in the eight o'clock hour, please? I got to sure, take this sure. break. Thank yeah, you. Take, no call, give us all back, Tom. Thanks. Fourteen twenty WBSM.